This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. When you're a pro, your reputation is built and proven over time. That's why the Home Depot carries Loctite PL Premium Max Construction Adhesive, the strongest on the market. It stays 100% solid after curing. It won't develop air pockets. And like your reputation, it holds up over time. Right now, get 12 or more for the bulk price of only $8.53 each. Loctite PL Premium Max at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Minimum purchase required, U.S. only. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Extra Podcast. I'm your host, Samson Folk, and today I'm bringing you seven different conversations with seven of my colleagues from Raptors Republic. It isn't a round table. It's not just the same questions asked over and over to different people. Everybody was asked different questions, and it's 10 to 15 minute interviews between the seven people. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy and have a great time listening. Here you go. I'm joined by Sam Holaku. We're of doing Raptors this. Republic. Yeah, we're doing it. We're and doing uh, it. He's, he's come on for one of the, the Raptors Republic roundtable type conversations I'm having for this podcast. Sam, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Um, I'm great. Both of us are probably doing extremely well considering the team we love mm-hmm. is one win away from, from a championship. Win. Yeah. You know, you know, it's funny. I remember uh, 2001, I believe it was the 2001 NBA playoffs and the Raptors are playing the Knicks first round. Um, the, the Knicks were four seed, Raptors were five seed. That's when you had five first round games. And my buddy Rod and me were at a house party and we were watching the game on mute because that was the only way they would let us like turn on the TV. And when they won, we were like hugging and jumping up and down. We That was the most happy I've ever been. And people were looking at us like we were crazy. Like these two dudes watching basketball and like caring about it. And now here we are. Like people are lined up from this morning for tomorrow at Jurassic Park. And we've come a really long way. Sorry, that was uh No, that's that was a uh, of- I think that's <laughs> a 
That's a terrific story, especially juxtaposed yeah. to looking where we're at now, where you guys had to watch it on mute just to enjoy yeah. it. And now the whole country's in on it. Even back from Saskatchewan, they have those Jurassic Park viewings where Everywhere. I'm from. Yeah. It's a, it's where are you a cool from? thing. You're from Saskatchewan. Yeah. Saskatchewan. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The flat part of Canada. The flat part? Don't go there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have no problems with anybody. Yeah, up from Toronto, everyone hates me, so I'm just trying. Oh to keep yeah, that's it. Okay, so yeah. the first question I have for you. Let's do it. Of the playoff games you've been to, not yeah. in every year, but in this year specifically, which yeah. has been your favorite thus far? Uh, game six, Milwaukee. Hands down, that's a it crazy was, game. That was a crazy game. A lot happened that game. A lot of uh, emotions, but a few things just being at the game. Um, the entire stadium basically stood the entire second half. So I, I can't remember sitting down the entire second half. People behind me were just like cheering, screaming. Beer was like flowing anywhere. No one cared. Um, it was just an amazing experience. Lost my voice for a couple of days afterwards. I haven't screamed that loud, I think, ever. Um, that, that was just one of those things because, you know, you're, you're putting away the best team in the, you know, the best regular season team in the league. You know, you're closing out at home. You come. You, they were rounding out as like, a, "Hey, we're we know what we're doing now. We know who we are. This is how we play to win, and these are the things we do to succeed." Right. So you could see that all kind of coming together, um, and then the energy and the crowd, and it was just like a a lot of things happening at once. It was a it was a it was a big moment. I thought. What's uh? I'm I'm pretty sure I remember you writing somewhere that you had beer spilled on you. Do you remember? Yeah. What time? Yeah, it was Coors Light. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was Coors Light, for sure. What was, on a scale of 1 to 11, and assuming that 11 is very, very loud, how yeah. loud was it in there when Kawhi got that dunk off? Oh, it was, it was next level. It was, that, that's where everyone lost their voice but kept screaming. It was solid 11. Yeah. The next thing I'm going to ask you is kind of, you, you do all the morning coffees. Well, not all of them, but a, a great deal of them. And it's a, a very popular thing on Raptors Republic. And I got to ask you, what is the beverage you most often consume while curating <laughs> Raptors Republic's morning coffee? <laughs> if I said water, would that be ridiculous? No, uh, that would make yeah. sense. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a water in the morning person. The first thing I do is, uh, the first thing I do in the morning I wake up is I do my morning coffee while like the family is asleep. Otherwise, it gets more challenging. I have two young boys, right? So, like, it gets really challenging if uh, if they're awake. So, you know, I get up between 5.30 and 6, uh, drink some water and, and just read and listen to a lot of things. And, uh, you know, I I, I, uh, I used to joke that I, I read everything so you wouldn't have to. Uh, but there's, uh, there's a lot of stuff out there. Uh, and it takes, takes a little bit of time. And basically, it's uh, – I'm rambling. Wow. Um, basically like it's, it starts the day before. So, uh, you know, I'm like, if it, when, when, once I post morning coffee on like say Monday morning, you know, the rest of Monday as articles come in, I'm reading them, I'm bookmarking them, I'm, I'm curating them. And then Tuesday morning, usually there's like a last kind of like sweep and then you grab all the videos from what the day was before. The inspiration to do that? Well, you know, it's funny because, like, when we started Raptors Republic years ago, 
we had a couple other guys from involved. One of them was this guy Scott Alt Raps, and he basically came up with morning coffee and uh, and what's called quick reaction now. He used to call it roll call, um, and he would just. And this was back when there was like even less content, like Raptors centric content than there's available now. He would just like put together like a like a link dump and you know put a little bit of like commentary around it and um and then when we started raptors republic together that was one of our main things and uh we just kept it going after he left cool yeah so getting into i guess the specifically basketball parts of this the raptors republic round table you said you believe in and have money in raptors and five how did you come to put money on it and how does it feel to be so close to that bet and prediction bearing fruit Right. You know, it's, I've, uh, I've actually did a pretty good job calling this, this playoffs overall from like every team playing. Um, a few things. So like nothing to do with analytics. This is all old man gut eyesight stuff. Um, but the things I was seeing were, you know, the Raptors, like I mentioned earlier, they were kind of coming together. They had their identity. They knew who they are. They knew what they needed to do to win. And you saw that all just come together in game six of, of Milwaukee. Um, on the flip side, Golden State as well, you know, they were down. They were down uh, Durant. The whole season, they had a lot of turmoil. I'm one of those guys. Um, I like winning whatever, right? So, like, you know, like what Orlando did this year as the eighth seed, they come in. You know, they, maybe they missed out on a lottery pick. But they got into the playoffs. They got some experience. I think those reps are super important for teams, right? You always want to be winning, even being on the treadmill, um, which is a really popular place to be. I don't agree. I think you really need to be winning, and you need to be putting up effort, right? So what we saw, what I saw a lot from from Golden State was, you know, th- coming into the playoffs, they were kind of like, "Hey, we're coasting. You know, this is regular season. It's a grind." That that whole narrative on, you know, it's so hard to be a winner for you know, half a decade type of thing. So we're going to cruise in and then turn it on. I usually don't like that. Um, I knew for myself when I was, when I, I never competed, but, you know, when I played basketball and stuff uh, in high school and a little bit in university, uh, you always had to be pushing hard throughout the whole time. So when you got to the big game, you know, you had this, you had this whole effort and this whole thing to fall back on that, you know, I played hard, I did my best. Uh, and this is just the next step instead of, hey, you know, we can really turn it on right now. And sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. So anyways, that was a really long-winded way of saying, uh, I thought the Raptors were battling their way into the finals. The Warriors were kind of cruising in. They were down Durant, right? Uh, and then all the stuff that was going on around it was, are they better with him? Are they better without him? All that bullshit, right? So, you know, they, they have a lot of other things that they're kind of playing against other than the Raptors. And I felt like the Raptors were a lot more focused and uh, cohesive coming in. So, uh, and, and then the five was, you know, why not? <laughs> uh, I, I honestly thought like five or six for me, you know, I, I didn't want to be playing them in the game seven. You know, they are champions. They have been there. Uh, you know, they have a lot of, a lot of, uh, threats to throw at you and you figure if they go seven everyone's going to be on the court injured or not and who knows what happens there so just the sooner you could close it out the better um and just just like i said they uh they were coming in just gunning you know tired but you know we're we're grooving next game next game next game uh golden state had some time off 
I thought for sure they would take some time to get the rust off, and it definitely took a game. But I had initially yeah. thought that Kevin Durant would be coming back in game two or at the very least game three. Have you thought it was interesting the way that his injury's been handled and the discourse around it? Yeah. It's like, it was funny because like all the, you know, I listened to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of blogs and stuff and writers and everyone was saying that like, he's going to be on minimum game two and I suspect he's not even going to come back this series. So I was hearing that a lot heading into this. Um, it's just, I don't know, like, I guess I don't understand if this is like mind games and trying to like, you know, have a, have a, like a program of disinformation to throw off the Raptors. Like, I, I don't think it works or they care. Um, a lot of it is, I really think they don't know. Like, you know, it, it's how hurt he is. Can he play on it? Can he not? Uh, but Jalen the other day, was it yesterday or the day before said, uh, no, it was the day before game four when they were going to practice him in the morning and see how, you know, how far off he was. He's like, he didn't look good at all. So he was probably, he's probably a lot more injured than everyone thought. And he's probably not even close to coming back unless, you know, they absolutely are like, you know, if you can give us like 30%, we'll take 30% type thing. Um, yeah. But yeah. It's, it's tricky. Injuries are tricky, right? Uh, managing them. Sorry. I said, it's strange. I guess taking like a cue from the Raptors and the Spurs, the way that Kawhi Leonard, there was kind of this mystique around his injury and it ended with him leaving the Spurs because he felt like they didn't trust him with his own body and he didn't trust them with his body, especially. It's weird that the Warriors would be, you know, they have all these rumors going around about his injury, about doubting his injury. It's weird that they're handling it in kind of that same fashion the Spurs did with Kawhi. Especially when Kawhi's year this year with the Raptors is, has been so good. It's strange. It's been what it was. You know, it's funny. Uh, uh, so a lot of this stuff is like we really don't know who's saying what and how this kind of information is getting out into, you know, the public sphere. I don't get it. I don't get it all. Like, you know, if a guy says that he's not ready to go, you got to take him at his word, right? So, like, you're not ready to go. All right. What do we need to do to get you ready to go? We're going to do this. You get everyone on the same page and you go, right? Let's say let's say he's right and he can't go. You put it together, plan, get him right, and then he's ready to go. All right. Let's say he is ready to go and he doesn't want to play for some reason, right? And when the moment you say, hey, we think you're okay, what does that do? That immediately puts, you know, a wall up between the two of you. And then as time goes along and, and you don't at least go on his side and, you know, try to get a plan together and get him back, that builds up, right? So, you know, with Kawhi, that's what happened. With Durant, he had the whole, you know, is he coming back or not? And it, and they escalated in that in that game where I, I don't remember the game early in the year where Draymond is like, remember they snapped yeah. at each other and mm -hmm. like, yeah, and right. Said, we won without you. Right, Leave. we won without you. Exactly. So like, it's like, all right, well, like, what are you doing? Like, what's the plan? What's the strategy here, right? So like, you're either on the same team, the guys, the guys playing, or he's not. You know what I mean? So like. When all these things are coming out, I think you really need to take people's word for it that they can't go, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, think what you want of Durant. I had a lower opinion of him after he came to Golden State, uh, you know, than some. But, you know, think what you want about him. But the guy wants to play and the guy wants to win, right? Uh, so if he's not playing, then he probably can't. Let's, let's take his word for it. Yeah.
Well, I think that's the case for most players. It's not like Eric Bledsoe, like, I don't want to be here with the Suns. Like, it's the NBA Finals and Kevin Durant. What would be better than adding a chip and coming in as a savior, especially after Draymond Green said, we don't need you, leave, coming in and stealing the series would be... That'd be everything KD wants based on how he speaks to the public and how he perceives himself. His seems like that and imagine, would be very... And imagine the KD narrative that he comes back in game five, right, with the Warriors down 3-1, and they win. They, they win in seven, right? Yeah. Well, it'd be but, incredible. And if he comes back and they don't win, well, you know, I, I didn't play the first four games. Like, <laughs> and injured. Like it's, it, it's it's a win-win for him. He can do whatever he wants. Hundred percent, it's a win-win for him. Yeah, we'll see. I uh, I I don't have hope. I I I think they're closing it out tomorrow night. I think so too, and I'm excited for me to to enjoy that as a fan, and for you to enjoy that as a a winner of bets and a fan as well. A winner of bets. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, and I they guess give that's me pretty a pretty good odds to cash out my bet earlier. Oh, probably. I'm sure they would. Yeah. I got him at seventeen to one. I got seventeen to one odds. Uh, that's what I took for uh, for Raptors in five. So it's it's like half that now. Like they're giving me an opportunity to cash out like eight. Still pretty good. We'll see. That's great. I feel like that's a, a good place to end the conversation. And once you get on <laughs> yeah. with the rest of your day. Yeah. Thanks, brother. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, man. It's been a blast. Yes, sir. Talk soon. And joining me, one of my colleagues from Raptors Republic, one of my very, very good friends that I've made through writing and following the trend of this podcast is me, Sam Folk, talking to Raptors Republic colleagues, Louis Satsman, the lone credentialed member of Raptors Republic for these finals. How are you doing, man? If you could see the smile on my face right now, using the, the friend word, oh, I'm tickled pink. I'm doing fantastic. How are there's you? A, oh, I'm I'm great. There's there's a drafted tweet in uh in my drafts that says I don't even care that the Raptors won. I made a friend in Lewis Satsman this year. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's your that's your championship tweet, eh? That's the one you're going with. That's we were talking about this before we started recording, but that's that's the feature after Game Five is the real championship is the friends we made along the way. And it'll, oh. that's, that's what it'll be. <laughs> the journey, not the process. I wonder, though, because uh, a lot of people, myself included, will pre-write pieces, um, assuming a, a result in a series or something. And I've already written most of the rappers winning a championship piece. But do you think people will pre-write championship tweets and have those ready to send out for as, so- as soon as the buzzer sounds? Oh, I'm sure they will. I'm I'm sure they will. There's probably a lot of draft save up. I am actually once I start writing more and more, I'll have to do what you do, which is prep. But as of right now, most of my writing is just flow of consciousness, and I there's like almost zero prep work. Like I'll just watch a game, and then afterwards I'll be like, okay, what's it gonna be? I I have to start applying myself like you do, and then maybe I'll reap the benefits of it. Well, you do so much work on this pod too, right? This I actually do way more work for podcasting than writing lately. Just yeah. finding all the it shows you're killing. <laughs> thank you. That's actually this podcast. I there isn't one overlap for the six or seven people who are being interviewed. Every question is different and de- and detailed 
specifically to what they've written about. Oh, wow. Yeah. So getting into that, a beautiful segue. You are the conductor of the train labeled Fred Van Vliet is an NBA defender, damn it. The people who have listened to this podcast, your episodes with me, they've heard us joke about it before. It is written in the lore of our, let's say, friendship. Did you always know he was capable of this? Your piece in the regular season was lambasted by some who read it and sneered at by those who didn't know. What's been the response to your pieces, the one in the regular season, and the redux in the playoffs, now that Fred is doing it on the biggest stage? That's a great question. I love it. So um, I think a few, a few things in there. I think I didn't know he was capable of defense at this level. At this stage, at least. I mean, um, it was clear in the regular season when I wrote that piece that he was capable of being one of Toronto's best defenders. He is a better defensive player than offensive one. Um, not very limited by his size because of his intelligence and ability. Um, sure, he's not a rim protector, but guards don't have to be. Seeing him do it in the NBA Finals against maybe the most dangerous offensive player in the world is something else that I I would not have predicted this level of success. So it's um, just incredible to see. Uh, the response to my piece in the regular season, like you said, not as much sneering. Um, I remember, I forget who, someone laughed at me and said, did Nick Nurse write this piece? Um, which was a joke, but I'm tough. I mean, if my views of basketball align with Nick Nurse, he knows his stuff, so I would be happy. Um, the playoffs, I'm not sure. I've been paying less attention to reactions just because I've been a little more nose-to-the-grindstone type stuff, so I'm not 100% sure what the reactions have been to my Fred piece. I would imagine a little bit less um, overt just because uh, we were talking about this before you pressed record. You know, there's a million incredible, brilliant people working on the Raptors right now. So it's uh, not as much space for specific Raptors takes at people for people at our places like that. Well, I think it's, for me, as somebody who still reads a lot of the reactions, I typically, if there's any type of response to a piece that you write, Adam writes, Vivek writes, Blake writes, myself, something I write, I'll go and I'll look at what people say because it's it's always been intriguing to me to see what the poll of everything is, how people are genu- generally feeling. And sometimes you don't get that with Raptors Public. Sometimes people just want to spout their own feelings on the comment board, which is fine. But where you can find responses to the piece, I've generally found that your stuff in the playoffs has been very, very warm, whether it be Twitter or on Raptors Public. And for the pieces that include the Fred's defense and the redux that you did, it seemed like it was recognized as... Lewis found this little piece of Fred's game and put a spotlight on it that has now paid dividends later on. And that is now part of your your come up as a Raptors writer, is the, the person who unearthed Fred's defense and laid it out in fr- front of the world before he did it in the finals, <laughs> which is a cool thing. And then second to that is your insane Blake-esque 5,000-word previews that you've kind of stamped your face on it and said like hey this is me this is what i'll do and hopefully something that will have you doing you know going into other playoff series in the future and then springing off of that i brought it up earlier but you're the sole rr staff member who has been attending these final games with credentials what is that like 
is I know it's a tough question to answer, but if you can put in words, what is the arena like? How are you how are you taking it all in? No, it's a great question. Um, it's been uh, honestly, I'm filled constantly with every every second with a bunch of different things. You know, gratefulness is probably the overwhelming feeling. I still feel when I'm there like it's just this incredible opportunity moment kid in candy shop type thing that how could I deserve this incredible thing it's fantastic part of that is imposter syndrome which we all have right that's just like part of the human experience um so it's I'm, I'm still just filled with wonderment every second part of that is also I mean I'm filled with wonderment watching this team watching these fans like I'm not at Oracle I don't travel but watching the video of um, of the fans singing O Canada after the win in Oracle, um, that was a meaningful thing. That That's a meaningful moment. And I've had things like that at the games in Toronto. Um, after game six, when, when they had the award ceremonies for the Eastern Conference Finals and just a couple speeches, you know, listening to the crowd interrupt Kawhi, interrupt Kyle, Kyle most of all, and watching them be emotional and get choked up a little bit really hit home about why this matters, why it matters so much to all of us and just how thankful I am to be this tiny part of it. It's, it's incredible. And, uh, I've, I'm keeping mementos from each one of these high points, game seven against Philly game six against Milwaukee. Um, just little things. Cause I'm probably going to be telling kids, grandchildren, not mine, but just strangers, you know, I'll be telling <laughs> the children about these memories forever. Hey, come here, Jimmy. Let me tell you what the NBA Finals, 2019. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I'll repeat something to you that, that Blake has told me in the past uh, regarding the imposter syndrome. And this will be paraphrasing, but something along the lines of uh, studies show that there's actually um, only people who are actually good at things suffer from imposter syndrome. The self-awareness has a collinearity with factors that drive success. And you've had a great season and you deserve the opportunity. Speaking of you talking about it, it's bigger than everything, taking mementos. Are there any cultural mementos you think that Canada basketball will take from this finals, things that will stick out and that people will reference and build upon? And the same way that people say, when I saw Vince Carter win the slam dunk competition, that made me want to start playing basketball. Is there anything like that coming from the finals? Well, there's the obvious ones. This is another brilliant question, by the way. There's the obvious one, Kawhi shot. You know, we're going to be talking about that forever to beat Philly, uh, the second best team in the NBA. Um, less obvious <laughs> ones, I think Fred having a baby um, and then turning his game around. And, <laughs> I mean, he was the first one to, to joke about how good it was for his game. But it seems like he's a little fed up now with people saying his baby is why he's playing so well. And now he's trying to say it's not, he's actually a good player. It's not just that he had a baby. It's this funny little thing. I think that might be something we remember uh, forever as well. I love that you brought that up because if this was before the internet age, and let's say sports heroes were still, you know, they lived on through the papers that came out the next day. Let's say this is like the 1920s. The paper comes out and says, yeah, we got Fred Van Vliet back there. He had a kid. He started playing much better. Is there then the possibility that you have this Toronto type of thing where 
in Toronto, there's this old wives' tale that, hey, if you're down on life, if you're having trouble doing things that you used to be good at, have a kid. See what happens. And that <laughs> it, it impacts the cultural zeitgeist in that way. Do you think that Fred Van Vliet has that type of potential to shape the culture? Well, having a kid to solve problems, namely broken marriages, has been a solution since time immemorial. So he certainly didn't invent the concept. But I hope that, you know, when, uh, when I have writer's block or some other such, you know, cold streak in my work, I can just have a baby and solve the problem. I hope I can follow in Fred's footsteps. That's anytime you're struggling to do anything. It's just connect with what I know. And what do you know better than anyone else in the world? You know your kid better than almost anyone else in the world. So just connect it back to that. Oh, yeah, my kid does this. Isn't it weird how that mirrors what's happening in sport? That you, you'll have that in the tank whenever you have a kid. You can bring that out whenever you want. But you only get to do it a couple times. The final question I have for you, Lewis, and it's when we hung out together in Toronto, it's me revisiting a question I asked you then. Love it. What is your favorite word? That was a question you asked me then. Yeah. I didn't have an answer for you. Did I even guess? Did I, did I give you a couple or did I just give you nothing? You, you said that's a, that's a great question. And then you pontificated on it. And then I told you why I ask people that question. But you didn't have an answer. Do you have one now? Yes, maybe. Yes. I reserve the right to go back on this choice freely in the future. Sure. But uh, commune is certainly one of my favorites. Um, partially you used because... that to reference a piece. I, yes. That was part of one of... Yes, okay. So uh, I have a master's in history studying the Paris Commune. And so I have maybe three times, definitely too many times, used stories from the Paris Commune as a lead for a piece. Um, definitely too many times. And, uh, but Commune is just a beautiful thing, group of people working together, helping together, living non-traditional lives. It's also a great verb to commune, um, which is a really good way to, to advance your understanding, to learn, to you know, speak with other people. Because commune means more than speak. It's... It's a more significant phrase. Um, and so I, I love the word, but also it just means more to me, I think, than many other words. Uh, yeah, so commune. I'm very happy with that answer. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm very happy with our, our short 10-minute interview. Boom. Got it done. Sweet and simple. <laughs> there, there it was. All right, Lewis. Well, this is this is the end of it. I hope the listener enjoyed it. But... I'll be letting you go, and I'll be on to have conversations with other people. Hopefully that rivals this wonderful conversation that you and I just had right now. Amazing. Thank you, buddy. Always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on, man. For his part, my colleague from Raptors Republic, Sean Baskerin, here to do his short blurb with me, one of the six or seven members of Raptors Republic who will be doing this. How's it going, man? Not bad, not bad. I'm probably the only one people don't really know, but uh, but that's good enough. <laughs> Man, you're you're more famous than you than you'll ever know. You, you <laughs> won't believe that the RR faithful. They run deep. They'll support anybody anywhere. For sure, that's all you need is is Raptors Republic, and uh, that's good enough. I got yeah. the name. That's the name on the front of the jersey, right? 
(laughs) Exactly, yeah. (laughs) That's all that matters. Right. So my first question for you, and one that I'll be asking everybody, is where were you when you were watching Game 4? So um, disappointing, but also kind of weirdly cool. I was at a uh, a good friend of my wife's uh, wedding <laughs> uh, throughout the game, which was initially kind of, I was like, oh man, this is going to be rough. But, um, but we, because of the late start, um, combined with the fact that half the people there, uh, not including the bride and groom, unfortunately, but half the people there were Raptors fans, of course. So, um, which was awesome because the wedding was kind of way out in, I think, Kitchener. But obviously this, uh, this fandom is kind of spreading across the country now, but, um, but it was amazing. Like as, as the game kind of progressed, like the dance floor was open and um, people were, you know, doing shots as they kind of started to take that turn in the third quarter. And um, as we, as we kind of wound down in the fourth, when they took over and just refused to let up, it just felt like a dream, like literally end because of um, the inebriation. Let's leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy how many people have a watching a Raptors game from a wedding story. I know yeah. Blake does. You see countless other people that I always have to have watch NBA well. games. Yeah. yeah. I guess it's wedding season. People, they really want their weddings as soon as June rolls around. And they don't give a damn about the NBA finals. This is what happens when your team goes this far in the finals, right? It's a foreign feeling and uh, it starts to encroach on sort of your other summer plans that you normally would have. So it's pretty... It's a pretty good problem to have, if you ask me, right? Yeah. Has it encroached on anything else? <laughs> Maybe the odd cottage weekend, but um, but I'll, I'll take the, the game for victory over, over any of that. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, that would be a great Twitter poll. Is like, would you rather the Raptors win game four or have a nice cottage weekend? I wonder how that would grade out. I feel like once-in-a-lifetime sports landmark achievement for the city versus... although. The, the summer weekend seemed to be rarer this summer around, but, um, but I, I'll still take my chances that the Raptors, uh, the Raptors playoff success is more rare at this point, and um, I'll take that <laughs> in the Twitter poll. I think that's a great decision. I'm very happy with that. Switching from <laughs> the high points of choosing the Raptors over cottage weekends, I want to ask you the next question is, what was the lowest point of this playoff run for you. There's a lot of things to choose from the Raptors. They didn't deny us any drama this postseason. What was the thing that had you feeling the lowest? Ooh. Um, yeah, it's tough, right? Because it has been pretty up and down. Like, you kind of forget some of those ebbs and flows we had in the first two rounds. Um, I think there's probably three points that were the lowest, I'd say, um, in, like, I don't know, in no real order. But, but game two against Milwaukee when... When um, I think Lowry fell out of that game, I can't remember, but it, it like it he just felt fell like out a... of game three before they won, actually. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Next time, two and three. But, but game, they got the slapped of... in game two. Yeah, like that one felt very. Um, it didn't really feel as bad as like those Cleveland blowouts where we went down 2 0 like a couple years before that, but it, it was like almost there in terms of just there was a sense of almost resignation. Um, and it, it felt a little low, but but the way they turned it around in Game 3 was obviously epic. So that was one low point. And then I would say probably Game 3 against Philly, where, you know, we had the letdown in Game 2, and we, we really didn't, you know, respond in the way that we thought we would. And I think the series was kind of hanging in the balance after that. 
Um, and then lastly, probably the game one loss to Orlando, although that seems like a distant memory right now. So probably in that order, actually, in terms of low points in the playoffs. But it just seems like all of that is so long ago. Yeah. Well, that's it does lend itself a lot of confidence as Raptors fans when you play so good in succession against the Bucks and then the Warriors. This run they've been on is incredible. They look like world beaters. But then you, rem- you remember what you just alluded to is that Game 3 lost, the 76ers going down 2-1. The Game 1 lost to the Magic. It, it seems like a fever dream at this point. And it's, yeah. it's crazy that the Raptors have come from that to now suddenly being this crazy defensive juggernaut that is staring the Warriors in the face and just taking it over. Yeah, no, it's it's just incredible. Like It's just been an avalanche of all this stuff that we just haven't seen before. It almost feels like a, um, you know, this foreign <laughs> feeling in terms of um, as a fan base, we've just collectively, you know, um, it's almost been a communal sense of, you know, when you look at another Raptors fan, you know the sense of pain they've been through. And to sort of see all of that turn into sort of this positive, confident, uh, you know, exuberant group of people that are like in that third quarter when we were down, I think. It was, uh, we're down two and then we tied it and then Kawhi hit the three to go up one. And when Kawhi slowly started to put his, get his grip over that game in the third quarter um, and all the Raptors started to sort of kept making those, those plays to put the Warriors away at every, uh, at every, at their every uh, run made it feel like game three again and made everybody feel so confident. It's just a, it's just a foreign feeling, Um, you know, compare that and contrast that to when, uh, the first couple of quarters against, let's say, Cleveland in game one last year, where we go into the half up eight or up 10 or up 12. And you always got this sense of ooh, this impending doom once they made those end of quarter runs going into the halftime when you feel like you really should be up 20, but you're up 10. Um, and then you let it go in the second half. But but we just don't see any of that in, um, from this team. And, and obviously the DNA being so different. Um, it's just amazing to see. Yeah. I guess just one, a very selfish question for me, and I, I'm certain what the answer will be, but since you brought up the Cleveland team, does a LeBron team beat this Raptors team in the second or third round? I think it depends which LeBron team. Um, if you're talking with Kyrie, Kevin Love, that healthy team that took the Warriors to five, I want to say in 2017, um, I think that's a seven-game series or Cleveland wins it. I'm not sure which to pick, but um, but I think if you take last year's LeBron team with almost no help when J.R. Smith was, like, lighting us up out of nowhere <laughs> um, and, you know, it was it was Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance and all those guys, it, it just, I think we would have stomped them. Um, I think the only thing we were really missing last year um, was a sense of sort of that killer instinct. I think throughout actually three games in that series, we were, I think, leading for... Um, more than two or th- almost three quarters. Um, and then we just kind of caved in the fourth quarter. So I think having the mentality we have now would have probably put us over the top last year in, in each of those games, despite a sweep indicating that, you know, it was a an actually not a close series, although each individual game was a little close. So I think, I think, I think it just depends which LeBron team, but that's an amazing question that we'll probably never know the answer to, or we will yeah. never know the answer to. <laughs> so I guess... The thing I'm wondering about, you brought it up, is having that killer mentality. On some teams it exists, on others not so much. Usually after teams win a championship, and the Raptors, if they do, this will be their first, 
there will be a documentary on it. Who do you think will be the unsung star of the interviews of the Raptors documentary afterwards? Does Norman Powell shine as like a 42-year-old man? Does You're talking does like OG Ananobi? In like, in like 2035 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Does OG Ananobi really, really, does he become a superstar and does he come out of his shell and is he like cracking jokes? Like, is he Blake Griffin stand-up comedian? Like, who becomes the star of that that 30 for 30 that we That's wouldn't expect? great question. I think it's got to be someone, like, it can't be Kawhi, obviously, right? It's got to be somebody who's like in the thick of things, but is also, you know, really talkative. And, and I, I'd probably go with, like Danny, because um, he's good with, you know, he's good with the media, a good talker, smooth talker, obviously has his own podcast and does that thing. I feel like he's comfortable to sort of get into sort of those personal details that people would want to know, um, you know, uh, behind sort of the mentality of the team or, um, you know, what gets written in books or memoirs like years from now. And, to, you know, in terms of what the team was feeling in the locker room after each of those wins or what playing with Kawhi was like the whole year or, um, you know, what the Gasol trade was like or what it was like seeing Siakam come out of nowhere. Like, there's just so many little storylines that it'd be cool to, like, unwrap, um, like, down the road. Uh, not just the finals run, obviously, but but throughout the season. Because this has just been such a, a unique team. Um, like, it's kind of just, it's sort of this one-year experiment um, that you don't normally see. Uh, and there's no real precedent for it. And it's just worked out in such a, like, I think the documentary would write itself. Yeah. And also, yeah. it's. I think Danny Green's a really good answer because he has the connective tissue of being tied so close to Kawhi and kind of intrinsically knowing more about him and his little idiosyncrasies and how he behaves and acts, but also him being so personable and connecting with other players on the Raptors that he, he seems like, at least in the chemistry kind of way, a straw that really helps stir the drink, even though I suppose straws are a faux pas nowadays. But Let's go with that analogy anyway. Um, <laughs> the last question, before, before I ask for a prediction, is everybody that I know of that has written about basketball has little things that they notice that other people generally don't notice. It's why so many people can read so many people writing about sports and just keep learning. Generally, a lot of people say the same thing, but there's little things that people notice that others don't. What do you think your thing is that you watch for closely when you watch a basketball game that you don't think other people watch for or that isn't covered very often? Well, that's a really good question. I, I've got a few things, I think. Um, like, I think I, I probably, to a fault almost, like overanalyze like other players. This, this isn't like anything technical or like X's and L's. This is just kind of watching the game. Like I like watching other players reactions to like, like a lot of people focus on the player with the ball when they, you know, make a shot or a pass or whatever. But I like to kind of focus on other people's reactions. So like if Kawhi hits like a tough jumper to look at like Pascal's face, who was like expecting the ball like next to him um, or, or the coach's face to see if that was the play they actually drew up. Um, I tend to kind of focus on that more so than the actual player with the ball, especially when I watch the plays again. <laughs> um, and then I think like, like everybody, I mean, this one's probably like everybody else, but I, I tend to focus a lot on like rotations. Um, cause that's the part that as a fan, you feel like, you know, the players, we have no control, but as a fan, we feel like we can kind of put that coach's hat on and push the right buttons to make them play a certain way. And it, it, 
that's probably the only other aspect, but I feel like that's, that's common to the, at least the, uh, the educated basketball fan, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a pretty good answer. I, I yeah. no, I'm expecting at least one person to be like, I pay attention to who sweats the most. And I have a chart at home tracking the sweatiest NBA players as per their cubic liter coming off their body. Something yeah. like that. Well, I know um, the last question. on that list. <laughs> yeah. Very happy in that way. The last question before I let you go and get on with the rest of your day is a prediction. Do the Raptors lose in seven or do they win in five or six or seven? What's, what's the deal? So... It's an easy answer, obviously, and I think everyone knows I'm going to say it's a win. But I think I think it's important to step back and say, like, coming into this series, like, I kind of knew, and, and I think most fans thought that if we were to win this, it was going to be in five or seven. I just didn't see us closing it out in six, although with the way they're playing on the road now, I feel like that's still a possibility. But coming into this series, I always thought it was five or seven uh, if we were going to win it. Um, my initial guess was seven, um, and that wasn't just, like, a homer pick. Like, I actually thought we could win. Um, so it's, I think, I think five is going to do it. I think game five is just going to be too much energy in the crowd to sort of, um, to, for the Warriors to overcome. I think the Raptors are the better team. I think even if KD comes back, um, which is obviously a huge domino and all of that, but, but like you alluded to earlier, I think he just needs a little more runway to kind of, um, hit the ground running, uh, and, and kind of make a palpable effect on this series. Cause I think even if he's back, He's just not going to be himself right away in an in a elimination game on the road in the finals. And if he is, like, you tip your cap at that point, right? But I'll take my chances and, and take the Raptors in five and, uh, and hope that uh, that's the game um, for Lowry to finally get that, that, uh, that gold bowl. Yeah. I think I'm going to come away from these interviews very, very confident because I expect I'm just going to hear everybody affirming Raptors win, Raptors win, Raptors win, Raptors win to me. Right. So by the time Monday rolls around, I'm just going to be tweeting out like, F the Warriors, bunch of frauds. I can't believe you guys thought you could compete. Raps in five. Something you gotta, we got we to gotta keep the Raptors mentality, though, the, the killer mentality, and not let it get to our <laughs> yeah. head. Because they're legit scary, man, coming off the floor the way they, the way they look, right? Yeah. I've been so hesitant to do any predictions. That's why I've, I've always been asking for predictions. I never give them myself. <laughs> oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put right, you on man. the spot, though. You're going to predict a Game 5 win, though, right? Oh, yeah. I, okay. I think it's a Game 5 win. That was when I had Blake on the podcast for Game 6 against the Bucks. I was like, I think that they do it, man. And Blake was like, I think I'm emotionally hedging because I know that they're capable but I, you know, it's not in his blood to predict good things for himself. And it would be good for him if the Raptors won game six. But, you know, it's, uh, it ended up being that the Raptors won game six against the Bucks. And, uh, you know, even though it would be good for myself, I'm not going to emotionally hedge. I'm going to say Raptors in five. And that's uh, keep the good feels rolling. Yep. No doubt, man. We can't have any doubt. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I'll let you get back to it. Is there anything you want to share with the listeners where they should follow you? Anything that they might read, even if it's just a good book you like, something like that. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. You can follow me at, on Twitter at, at Sean Baskaran. Um, if, you, if you know how to spell that, then you probably deserve to follow me. <laughs> um, I, I, other than that, I mean, I'm, I'm a contributor on Raptors Republic. Uh, stay tuned. Um, haven't been writing as much as I as usually have. That's what married life will do to you. But um, you know, definitely we'll put something out uh, once the Raptors um, 
win and, and on our on their way to a championship parade in the coming week. I, I can't believe those words are coming out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. All it's right, good. man. Thanks for stopping in. I'll let you get back to your day. And uh, yeah, bye-bye. Buddy. This was fun. And stopping in for a conversation with me is Colin Connors, a colleague of mine at Raptors Republic. And Colin, how are you doing today, man? Uh, pretty great, based on last night. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Yeah, I guess that's the one thing that all Raptors fans have in common is today is probably a pretty great day, and nothing can really rain on that. I guess speaking of great days and all the things about the Raptors, I want to ask you, you play college basketball. There's obviously, you know, you don't have to play basketball to understand it, but sometimes it does lend you a bit of some benefits to understanding some of the more minute things that go on on the court. When you watch a basketball game, and let's say a Raptors-Warriors finals game, what do you think you look for when you watch them play that maybe not the casual fan looks for? Um, I guess just like you look a little bit more at actions and how people are responding to actions and whatnot. Like um, one thing that's really impressed me as the series has gone on and as the playoffs has gone on is, you know, how Kawhi has learned how to handle double teams and blitz and whatnot. He's obviously always been great at it, but, you know, you're seeing it now. He's finding guys in the short roll. They're rolling Serge and Gasol into the short roll. Uh, a ton and it's opening up everything for them and like those passes were like a beat late early on like in the Sixers series and early on the Bucks series but now like to the point last night where you know they're carving the Warriors up like crazy and uh like just the growth you see from those types of guys and it's uh that's the type of stuff I like to watch like just the way that guys kind of adjust as the series goes on to the opponent that they're playing against because like obviously they come in as a player they are but you can grow as the series goes on and we've seen a lot of that from this team Okay, so if you were suggesting that he was getting better since the Philadelphia series when he was getting doubled and culminating in, let's say, last night, Game 2 was a bit of a drop-off for him in dealing with those traps. He was really strong in Game 1 of the finals. Game 2, he was really late. What do you think the Warriors did in Game 2 to help mitigate how he was successful in Games 1, 3, and 4? Well, I think having Clay at full strength definitely played a big role in that. Like you saw last game, not having Clay made things a lot easier on Kawhi in terms of getting people involved, and not have and like last night, although Clay was himself and is shooting sixty percent from the field, which is absolutely ludicrous, uh, he still did look a beat slow, like in terms of his uh, explosiveness, especially on the defensive end. And I'm sure they are a bit conscious of not having him on Kawhi. So like obviously Draymond and whatnot, like when they have those defenders, Draymond and Iguodala off the ball, it makes it a lot easier. Uh, it makes it a lot easier in the Golden State's defense to to make those short roll passes a lot more difficult, and to make because they can obviously disrupt those passing lanes and things like that. So being able to have Clay at like full strength to bother Kawhi and have like you know they're better off they're better defensive players, the ones with the biggest impact off the ball, like so they can affect like obviously the the points don't come from Kawhi beating the double team. The the points come from the decision that Serge and Gasol makes, and the certain decisions that the shooters they kick out to, whoever's diving and whatnot makes. And uh, those decisions just get a lot harder when you've got both Iguodala and Draymond off the ball, which is like they they had in, the, in that case. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York.